Folk, please turn to James chapter 5 towards the end of the New Testament. Our teaching theme for the year has been How then shall we live? And this morning Phil gave us a wonderful insight into an answer to that question. Living as disciples of Jesus, being models of Jesus. Now in this chapter 5, you'll see that in the NIV there are three paragraphs that make up the chapter. First, there's a warning to rich oppressors. Second, patience in suffering. And thirdly, the prayer of faith. So first paragraph, warning to rich oppressors. In this passage, James has in mind wealthy people who took advantage of the difficult circumstances faced by the refugee believers and they exploited them. And James identifies four failures of these rich people. We'll read the verses first and see if you can find the four. Verse 1, chapter 5. Now listen you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent people who were not opposing you. The four failures, number one, they hoarded their wealth. Number two, they failed to pay fair wages. Three, they lived in luxury and in self-indulgence. And then in verse six, they abused the legal system to wrongly condemn innocent people. Now James was not condemning all who were rich, but rather those who misused and abused their wealth. And their their future was bleak, misery, would come upon them. There's an implied warning here for the readers, those refugee believers, not to be drawn into such self-centred behaviour. Wealth was meant to be put to work to help those in genuine need. A warning to the rich oppressors. Now second paragraph, Patience in suffering. Now starting at verse 7, follow as I read, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. 
See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no or you will be condemned. In this paragraph, the two key words are patience and perseverance. Now, there are three subheadings in this paragraph that are helpful to us. First, Jesus will come as both Lord and Judge. Now it's important to note that the goal of perseverance is not for something to happen. It's for someone to come. In verse 7 James urges his readers to be patient because the one who is coming is the Lord Jesus. The farmer perseveres with his cultivation and sowing and then he waits patiently for a fruitful harvest as a reward for his perseverance. Believers too wait for their reward. Now James mentions two important facts about Jesus in this paragraph. He is the coming Lord and he is the waiting judge. Now other apostles have written in similar ways. In John 14.3 he says about Jesus... I will come back and take you to be with me. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus is both coming Lord and waiting judge. Now second point out of this paragraph, his coming will mean both reward and rebuke. Now having used the diligent farmer as his first example, James now turns to the prophets and to Job as further examples of people who showed patient perseverance. In verse 10, the prophets faced opposition and suffering as they spoke God's words 
that often referred to future events. And then they had to patiently persevere but in due time their words of truth became facts of history. The Lord Jesus also spoke God's words and James's readers were to patiently persevere until his words of truth become facts of history. As Paul reminded the Thessalonian believers, the Lord himself will come down from heaven and they had to wait. And we are still waiting. Now what about Job? In verse 11, he patiently endured many trials but the Lord finally brought about a remarkable ending. In Job 42 and verse 12 we read, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. You see, his trials passed and God brought about something more wonderful than he had ever known. And James points out to his readers that their trials will pass and the coming of Jesus will finally bring about more than they could ever imagine. Now the reason is at the end of verse 11 our Lord is full of compassion and mercy. But then we come to verse 12 and it has a very different ending. Condemnation. Now Paul adds some details here Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3 when he deals with a somewhat similar situation. Paul had laid a good foundation for a new congregation in the city of Corinth. But he had to leave and the believers then in that ungodly city had to get to work to develop their infant church. Now Paul says you can do that in various ways. He said your efforts can be like gold or silver or costly stones or alternatively they can be like wood, hay or straw. But you need to remember this, that one day there's coming a time of judgement, of assessment, of testing. Not about salvation but about faithfulness and perseverance. Now if what a person built or contributed survived the fiery test then that person would be rewarded. If it didn't and it was burned up then there would be the judge's rebuke. James put it clearly there will be the Lord's reward for those who patiently persevere and there will be the judge's rebuke for others. 
But there's a third point out of this second paragraph, an ever-present danger, the unruly tongue. In verse 9 James says, don't grumble against each other. And in verse 12, do not swear. Now by that he means do not use oaths or vows or make supposed promises in a wrong way. You see, words can be like hay or straw and will be burned up. They will fail the test of fire which can lead to the judge's rebuke. Now it was hard for those scattered believers reading James's letter but he reminds them they had to persevere, endure, not give up. They also had to be patient and resist temptations to quit or grumble or seek revenge or make foolish promises. They had to take seriously who they were and pursue God's purpose for them. They were his people and they were to be models of what it was like to belong to God's family because their Lord was coming. They had to do that wherever they were scattered, difficult though it was. Well, now the third paragraph, the power of prayer, the prayer of faith. Reading first of all down to verse 18. Is anyone of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Now in the preceding paragraph the key words were patience and perseverance. Now in this paragraph the key word is prayer. Firstly, the individual and prayer. Verse 13, is any individual in trouble? Pray. Is any one happy? Pray. Now they would be different prayers. One would be a prayer of petition. The other would be a prayer of praise. But James's point is, look, in every circumstance, it's right for a person to pray. 
And I think there are two reasons behind this. Firstly, prayer acknowledges God's sovereignty. He is in charge and his goodness. And then prayer also indicates the individual's dependence on him. We can't do it, but he can. The individual in prayer. Now we come to the elders and prayer. Verses 14 and 15. Now sometimes these verses get rather complex but they deal with a common trial faced by many believers. Severe illness that requires help. Now James recognised that leadership of the local congregation rested with elders and it was their duty to address the needs of the members. Now in the case of severe illness the elders were to pray and anoint the sick person with oil which in New Testament times was a commonly used medication. There was both spiritual and practical action in their response. But James adds something more. In verse 15 he mentions the presence of sin and elders were to be discerning, mature in their faith to understand that there could be an underlying cause for the illness. But the key point of the verses is that discerning prayer was both needful and powerful in bringing healing to people who required help. Now in verse 16 we come to the congregation and prayer. The individual and prayer, the elders and prayer, the congregation and prayer. And James widens his application now to the whole congregation Other forms of healing were needed among these scattered Christians. And James turns to prayer for healing of relationships bruised and broken by hurtful actions. James mentions confession. Whatever had caused the hurt, the division among them had to be acknowledged and resolved. Now that would take at least two people, the one causing, creating the trouble, the one hurt by the trouble. Now for most of us, the three most difficult words to get into our hearts and out of our mouths are these. I am sorry. Yet James reminds us that they can lead to prayer, to reconciliation and to healing. It's the tongue again. Now at first we might say James really underplays this issue He only devotes half a verse to the need to heal 
damaged relationships within a congregation. But it is a crucial matter. God's purpose was that each one should act like Jesus and express their faith not only individually but corporately as a congregation together so that the broken world round them could see that there was another way to live. And so he says confess to each other and pray for each other. He pleads with them to do that in order that you may be healed. The congregation and prayer. Now verses 16 to 18, the power of prayer. Now so far James has focused on doing it, using prayer. Individuals pray, elders pray, congregation members pray. Why? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now he uses Elijah as an example. Now Elijah showed great courage and faith on Mount Carmel. But then he fell into despair and he ran away. Subsequently, he prayed that the widow's son would be restored to life after the little fellow had died. But then Elijah complained to God in a moan of self-pity. You see, in things like that, he was like us. Not perfect, but he was righteous. And a righteous person puts wrong things right with God. It is the prayer of a righteous person which is powerful and effective. There is power in prayer because we pray to God who hears our prayers and answers them in ways that fulfil his purposes. Now our part is to be righteous. That is to keep in right relationship with him and to put wrong things right. We come to the last two verses. Verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now in closing, uh, James mentions two possibilities dangerous possibilities the first is some people tend to wander from the truth now we saw earlier that elders had a particular responsibility in leadership of the church but in this matter 
It was the responsibility of each member to show loving pastoral concern for other members. That would also involve prayer and helpful deeds in order that the wandering one could be brought back into active fellowship. Now second, James knew that some people can act a part in the congregation but they have not actually accepted God's gift of eternal life through believing in Jesus. Now such ones needed help from others to realise their error and thus be saved from death. Now earlier James said don't grumble against each other. That was a negative comment regarding the tongue. But here in his final verse he urges positive action. Use your tongues to retrieve the wandering ones, the ones who wander from God's truth and use your tongues to help the lost to discover God's truth. That would be effective congregational care in action. Our theme for the year is how then shall we live? We come to the end of James and we might say, well now what has he said about those people and how they should live? Well, through many trials they were to become mature in their faith and live together in caring concern and unity so that others could see what the kingdom of God was like and it would require patience, perseverance and prayer. Well that's alright about them but the application for us is how now shall we live? You see we are all scattered throughout an unbelieving and unhelpful world. The experiences they went through are the sort of experiences we go through. Dealing with many trials, what for? In order that our faith will be strengthened. While we wait for Jesus to return. It's not easy being a Christian and I think it's going to get harder. James challenges us both as individuals but also corporately as a congregation. Now regarding the individual we must make two points clear. Firstly, we must come to the point of choosing to follow Jesus. We must turn from our own waywardness, accept the fact that he died for us and choose to follow him. That's the choice we must begin with. It's the starting point of a new life.
The rest of James means nothing unless we have made that decision. Now secondly, I may have made a decision like that years ago. Oh yeah, I've done that, I've done that. But somehow over time I've wandered and my commitment and my perseverance is not what it used to be. But through this word from James, God has stirred my heart again. And I recognise that I need to confess my wandering, come back to him, ask him to restore the joy of his salvation and to help me live more effectively for him while waiting for Jesus to come again. Now I need to respond to the word of God and you need to respond to the word of God and we need to respond to the word of God. Now you might come and speak to one of us after the service this morning. You can respond quietly at home lunchtime but you could also respond in the next few minutes using the words on the screen as Joy and Bev lead us in a personal prayer Please make unfair.
so near.